Hi, my name is Jim. I'm a compulsive overeater and uh, lots of other things. And uh, anyways, uh, the, uh, uh, this is one of my uh, favorite meetings. Uh, uh, I'll just do my uh, stuff real fast. I've been abstaining in Overeaters Anonymous for over 40 years now and maintaining approximately 110 pound weight loss for over 38, probably 39 years by now. And that's the miracle of this program that uh, long-term recovery really is possible because I couldn't stick to a diet for a day when I came into this program. And uh, anyhow, um, let's see. I'll uh, share my screen and show you uh, what I used to look like uh, back uh, in the olden days. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, <clears throat> I was a cute kid. My wife tells me sometimes the only thing that's kept me alive is the fact that I'm cute. Um, I'm the guy with uh, the hair and the beard. Um, guy in the front left row. Um, that's me again. Um, my uh, ID card for the beverage program. Um, and of course, uh, I thought I could uh, you know, add a few inches and subtract many pounds. And uh, here I am uh, actually uh, walking on water uh, at a uh, water treatment plant. That was uh, pretty close to, uh, you know, this was like about a week after I came into OA. And uh, anyhow, if you don't believe the pictures, I can you know, show you the stretch marks. I don't know if they, they show up on uh, the uh, video or not. But uh, anyhow, uh, story of my life is, uh, well, I was a fat kid and I went through all the crap you go through when you're a fat kid. But I only have 25 minutes to share, not 25 hours. So uh, I'll, I'll skip a lot of the, what I call the tale of woe in four-part harmony. Uh, Cause you know, hey, you know, we've all lived it. And uh, you know, I'm not the only one who ever had to deal with husky sizes. And I went on my first diet when I was around 10 years old, promptly lost about half of what I needed to lose at the time. And then I hit that strange mental blank spot that it talks about in the uh, big book. And I went off my diet. And once I went into relapse, I couldn't get back on. And so I gained all the weight back. And the story of my life was, was basically lather, rinse, repeat. You know, I'd get you know, sick and tired of being fat. I'd go on some kind of weight loss scheme. I'd lose some weight. I'd go into relapse, I'd gain it all back. I thought that uh, uh, becoming a long-haired hippie freak would fix me. It didn't. Thought that moving from uh, Pennsylvania to Southern California would fix me. It didn't. Uh, thought that cutting my hair off, getting an eight to five job would fix me. It didn't. Thought that uh, moving to Northern California would fix me. Well, that didn't. And I found myself uh, living out in the sunset at a, uh, you know, I had a job downtown and uh, my life consisted of, uh, at, you know, 4.59 in the afternoon, I would, uh, you know, bail out of work, uh, go to the Merrill's drugstore across the street from where I work because everybody in line at five o'clock was getting their fix. You know, they're getting food, alcohol, tobacco, you name it, um, we're getting our fix. 
And of course, I would buy, you know, bags and pounds of stuff telling myself, oh, I'll only eat just a little bit. And then I'll have a nice, healthy dinner when I get home. Yeah, right. Uh, and then I'd consume it all and go, oh, what happened? Um, but um, I don't like to go into foodologues because when I tell foodologues, they make me hungry. And besides, we all know how to overeat here. But, uh, you know, so telling stories about the lies I told the clerks at the supermarket, you know, or the stuff eaten out of the trash or, you know, going out over icy roads in the middle of the night to get stuff. I mean, you know, most of us have done similar stuff. And, you know, the, uh, so, and the, um, you know, I found myself at night having chest pains and going, is this a heart attack? Am I going to wake up the next day? So I did what anybody would do in that situation. I made out my will and uh, at the age of 22. And that's where this disease brought me. But I remembered, you know, years and years back, you know, stuff from Dear Abby and Ann Landers about this program. So I knew it existed and I hadn't tried it yet. And I tried just about everything else. And so I figured, okay, I'll give it a try. And I really had no idea what to expect when I walked in the door. I didn't know anything about, you know, 12-step programs. I knew though that I was a food addict. I had written in my diary four years before I came into OA, I'm just like an alcoholic with chocolate. You know, didn't know anything about how to recover from an addiction, but I knew I was an addict. And I was really lucky to stumble into OA in San Francisco because you know, San Francisco is a city that has really good program where you've got a core of people who know what it's like to recover from overeating. You know, I've traveled a lot in this program and I've lived in a bunch of places and uh, not every place on this planet has a really good you know, core of people that are that critical mass of people you need to really, really help people recover. And you know, God really greased the skids for me. Not only did I hit bottom in San Francisco, um, you know, I had an eight to five job downtown and uh, you know, right across uh, you know, in the cube, you know, five feet away from mine was uh, a woman, you know, one year sober in AA who kind of was, you know, kind of looking out for me. But, uh, you know, I <clears throat> stumbled uh, into uh, a meeting and, you know, really didn't know what to expect. And they started uh, off with a prayer. I thought, oh, this is weird. Um, but I knew where the all night grocery store was. So, I figured I could just sort of check the box, say, well, I checked this out. Um, the, uh, then there were these steps, you know, admit powerlessness over food. Now I had a 46 inch waist. So I just kind of laughed at that when I thought, yep, yep, I got that one. And the, then there was this God stuff that gave me kind of a weird feeling and didn't understand anything at all about the other ones. And then they said, carry the message. And at this point, my cult detectors were were going off because you know it was only a year or two after Jonestown, and the um, had a friend in high school who joined a cult, and I ran into him in an airport once, and he was dressed in orange robes and handing out pamphlets. So I thought, okay, you know, if if they get out the orange robes and the incense, I'm out of here. And then the speaker got up to share this like normal looking person, actually quite good looking, and I thought. What does she know about being fat? 
And I thought she was going to, you know, talk about, you know, losing five pounds through jazzercise or something. And, and she got, got up and told her story and talked about pounds gained and lost as substances abused that made my overeating look really wimpy. Now, mind you, I'm an industrial strength compulsive overeater. I mean, I used to be morbidly obese. And I know 110 pounds is barely uh, entry for this meeting, but I'm only five foot two inches tall. So the, uh, but here was somebody else who had eaten the way I had eaten and who had gotten better. That blew me away because I knew all those, you know, sad stories about fat children become fat adults, fat adults never lose the weight. I knew I was a hopeless case. I, I didn't even know what my goal was when I came to OA. I just wanted to get below 200, you know, because, you know, you know, I'd been fat all my life, but at one point, I, I sort of became you know, a, a self-styled liberated fat person and decided that, you know, hey, I've always been fat. I'm always going to be fat. So just eat whatever I feel like. Find what my body's true natural set point is. Accept myself at that point. And if you didn't like it, that was your problem, not mine. That, um, but 65 pounds later, I realized my set point was set at infinity, that there was really no, <laughs> yeah, no limit to how fat I was going to get. And the, um, you know, and, you know, and just being overweight was manageable, but, you know, getting to the point where even the big and tall shops were having trouble fitting me, that, um, you know, where, you know, my gut was hitting the steering wheel, um, where I worked, you know, our group was spread over two floors and I dreaded having to go from one floor to the next because, you know, we'd have to walk up the steps. And if I had to do that with a coworker, you know, and I'd be gasping for breath and all the time trying to hide it. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, and so anyhow, but here was somebody else who had gotten better. And, and they said, you know, get a sponsor. And you know, so I got a sponsor who told me to go to 90 OA meetings in 90 days and didn't quite make 90. I do not claim perfection by any means. And the, um, but I started going to a meeting just about every day, found out where all the meetings were in the city, you know, found out the ones I liked, found out the ones that I didn't like so much. And, you know, I started to try to reverse engineer other people's programs, because I, I noticed pretty quickly that there were a lot of people in these rooms who had what I wanted, and a lot of people who hadn't gotten it yet. And being the, the obnoxious person I am, I, you know, <clears throat> basically go up to people and interrogate them to try to figure out how they worked their program. And, you know, basically, you know, expecting to figure out you know, the mystical secrets. And the, uh, let's say, you know, what do you eat? What do you pray to? How do you meditate? What's your mantra? What vitamins do you take? I mean, expecting to find some, you know, inner secret that only the, the enlightened ones knew. And then one day I was sitting at a plain average random uh, lunchtime meeting in San Francisco and, uh, and it was a pretty average meeting and you know how bad those are. I mean, you know, there was nothing special about the meeting. But as I was looking around the room, you know, I'd been to enough meetings and I'd heard enough people talk and, you know, and, and all of a sudden the light bulb clicked on. I noticed 
shocking revelation here. The people who had what I wanted were doing all the things we talk about at the beginning of meetings, you know, the tools and the steps. And the people who are still struggling were not doing one or more of those tools or one or more of those steps. Funny how that works. And the, um, you know, so that was my, my shocking revelation that, uh, you know, that there was no mystical secret, that it's basically, it's all out there, right out there in the open. So, um, and uh, I started out on a, a basic four food plan out of the dignity of choice, because my mother was a home ec teacher. And, you know, so I knew all about the four food groups. And I thought I knew everything about nutrition. I know a lot less now. Um, that, uh, but, you know, when I came in, you know, they talked about, you know, being a food addict and a sugar addict. And it's like, yep, yep, that's me. I knew that. And then there's this bit of another fantastic insight that, you know, I had never figured out before, despite all my studies of nutrition or my college degree or anything like that. It's like, well, if a food, if a substance sets off a craving, if you don't take the first bite, you won't set off the craving. Huh. In other words, it's a lot easier to eat none than some of those foods that you know, would trigger my binges. Wow. And, and people warned me, you know, hey, you, know, you will go through withdrawal. I mean, the, uh, and it was real touch and go. But I knew I was in diet mode. I'd been on diets before, and I kind of knew I was going to get the same result as any other diet, quick weight loss followed by quick relapse. And then uh, one night I went to the uh, Monday night meeting, it was at Old First Church, and the um, speaker got up to share, a hundred pounder, and she talked about how she didn't eat any grains or starches not just not eating sugars. I mean, I knew I couldn't touch sugar with a five foot pole, yeah. but wow, here was somebody who wasn't eating the entire base of the pyramid scheme. I thought she was insane, but I was fairly desperate. And, you know, she kind of explained that what her body does is it takes those long grain starches and chops them up into sugars. You know, that kind of made sense. And so I knew that what I was doing wasn't sustainable. So I decided to try the ultra low carb food plan. And lo and behold, my cravings went away. Now, why that is, who knows? Um, the, uh, oh, I can spin stories and concoct hypotheses and stuff, but you know, there's a lot we don't know about human nutrition, especially for food addicts like us. And the scientists are still working on it. You know, every few months you read a snippet in the paper about, ooh, they discovered this other chemical in the brain that does something. But as of yet, uh, they don't have a treatment to cure somebody like me. I mean, if they did, none of us would be here. Um, and you know, instead, you know, we see that uh, the American public has just gotten heavier and heavier as our you know, food companies have found ways of basically making foods more and more attractive. You know, bet you can't eat just one. Yep, that's me. So anyhow, and one of the things I love about Overeaters Anonymous is its agnostic nature. Now we talk about prayer and meditation, but we don't tell people what church to go to. 
We talk about abstinence and plan of eating, but we don't pretend to know all the answers about nutrition. And personally, I don't think anybody does. That uh, the, um, no matter how many letters you have after your name, because if you think about the scientific method, you know, how do we really know stuff? Well, you do an experiment that anybody can duplicate. And so what they'd have to do is take a bunch of people like us, people like us, not normies, but people like us, you know, stick one group in one cage, one group in another cage, treat, you know, you know, do this for several generations and slice us up to see the results. We, we can't do those kind of experiments on people, thank God. Um, and you know, so what we do know is sort of indirect. I mean, you know, the, um, and it seems that this knowledge keeps changing over time. Um, the, uh, my mother, the home ec teacher, loved to tell the story about how when she was in training, um, you know, they were taught you know, how much iron you needed. Um, and she came back after Christmas vacation one year and you know, discovered that the number had changed by a factor of two because they discovered the body actually recycles something, yada, yada, yada. So, the, um, so I kind of take it with a grain of proverbial salt you know, what, what people say about nutrition. But my philosophy of OA is I do what I see working for other people like me. And when I saw a bunch of other people like me said, you know, they ate low carb, I said, well, if it works for them, I'll try it. And I discovered it worked for me. Well, um, you know, I don't pretend that everybody should be the same, but you know, hey, I, I look for patterns. I look for people like me. And I figure if I do what works for them, it'll work for me. So anyhow, uh, it took me about a year to lose the weight and I had never been thin before in my life. So, you know, I was in for a bit of a rude awakening that um, the, because uh, I always thought that when I lost the weight that I'd be the six foot tall millionaire with a body that looked like Mark Spitz, the Olympic swimmer with the seven gold medals. And that on the day I hit goal weight, you know, the, the Dallas cheerleaders would drive up in a big limousine and, you know, with big bags of gold coins and, and then we'd do all kinds of wonderful things together. Um, that didn't happen when I hit goal weight. But fortunately, by that time, the 100 pounders meeting had begun. And actually, I was fortunate enough to be at the very first uh, San Francisco 100 pounders meeting in December of 1981. It was founded by Angela Alberry, who later married Tom Lufer in the program. And the very first one was at the Vincentian Villa. And uh, there were four of us there at the very first meeting. There was Angela who founded it. There was myself. There was uh, Ernie and Ernestine. And uh, this meeting's been going on ever since. And, but at that time, I was so new, I had no idea what my goal weight was. I, was, I didn't even know if I really was a hundred pounder at that point. I knew I was morbidly obese, but you know, did I really need to lose a hundred? But yep, I did. So, and it took me about a year to lose the weight. And <clears throat> fortunately, you know, I'd heard enough other people talking about the body damage, the loose skin and the stretch marks and, and whatnot, that you know, when I noticed that I wasn't developing a body that looked like an Olympic swimmer, but instead looks more like a Sharpe puppy. Um, the, um, 
at least you know, I'd been warned, I'd heard about it. And so it wasn't as much of a shock as it could have been. But you know, when, I, uh, when I hit Galway, um, you know, the Dallas cheerleaders did not show up with bags of gold coins. I still had to work for a living. Uh, you know, my fellow passengers on the Enjuta streetcar were just as tired at seven in the morning as they always were. The security guards at work were just as tired and surly looking as they always were. Nobody said anything to me on that particular day. You know, my girlfriend at the time wasn't even talking to me. That, uh, you know, and I discovered that lo and behold, thin people have problems too. And I had no idea what really to eat or not eat. I mean, because, you know, you know, yeah, I was still kind of in diet mode. You know, I found something that was sustainable, that was working, that I liked, and I was afraid to change anything. Um, but I knew that, I knew I couldn't touch sugar with a five-foot pole. I mean, I just knew from experience the way my body reacts to it. You know, I'm an addict. And a little bit sets off a craving for more. Uh, why my brain works that way? Who knows? But uh, anyhow. Um, but what about all those healthy things from the health food store that I'd never binged on because they were too healthy looking because I would binge on straight junk food? Hmm. What about those whole grain thingies? Well, I uh, was, um, you know, so, you know, still calling in my food every day. And so, you know, I was, you know, very careful, you know, as I, I went through about a period of about a year and a half of experimentation and trial and error to see what would work and what wouldn't work. And, you know, so I added, you know, a lot of grains back in and discovered that the cravings came back and the, um, um, I don't like fighting the cravings. It's no, it's no fun. And, you know, so I, you know, let go of the things that seemed to bring the cravings on and the cravings went away again. And, you know, lo and behold, when the dust settled, my food plan basically looks pretty low carb that uh, you know, I eat three meals a day, nothing in between, none of my old binge foods. And I've been graced with you know, that level of abstinence for over 40 years. You know, and that, that limits the amount of damage I can do in any one day. That uh, I weigh and measure most of my food when I'm at home. You know, I don't walk around with a cup and a scale everywhere I go, but uh, you know, I understand that um, the ritualized nature of you know, weighing or measuring my food and it's a good way to know I'm getting just the right amount of food, not too much, not too little. You because know, you know, abstinence is not, you know, the you know, death camp deprivation diet. You know, it's not punishment for being bad. It's really the ultimate in pampering ourselves and making sure we get just the right amount of food, not too much, not too little, and nothing that's harmful to us or is gonna make us crazy. You know, so it's really the ultimate in pampering ourselves. That's what abstinence is. Now, the um, you know, so typically, you know, I eat dead animals, dead vegetables, fruits, a few nuts and seeds, a few dairy products. And um, uh, that's, you know, that's basically what my food plan is like. Um, I, call my, I call it into my sponsor just about every day because it gives me an excuse to pick up the phone and call my sponsor. And a lot of times I'll say, yeah, it's the same old, same old today, click. Um, but, you know, I do have trouble, you know, just making random phone calls just to make phone calls. That um, uh, I go to a lot of Overeaters Anonymous meetings because uh, I'm a sick puppy and I need a lot of Overeaters Anonymous meetings to stay glued together. 
Uh, I've never met a substance I couldn't abuse. I qualify for many 12-step programs, but they don't do anything for my food. It's one thing to go to another program and hear people talk about you know, years and years of sobriety, but when they're cutting the cake afterwards, I want to join them. It's, um, you know, so to basically to recover from food addiction, I need to work with other compulsive overeaters like me. And that's the key to all of these 12-step programs. If you think about AA, it was founded by a couple of drunks who by themselves, they could not stay sober. But when they put their faith into action through helping other drunks, they got to stay sober. That's the way Overeaters Anonymous works. The best way to stay out of the refrigerator is to help somebody else stay out of the refrigerator. I mean, that's the key to this program. It's not the kind of program that I can do alone by myself in my own kitchen. When we talk about the spirituality of this program, it's not going to a mountaintop by myself and chanting until the fork levitates out of my hand. No, it's a very applied faith without works is dead kind of spirituality of going out and working with other people just as sick and messed up as I am. And yeah, that's, that's how this program works. You'll notice four out of our nine tools talk about working with other compulsive overeaters. That's why we go to Overeaters Anonymous meetings. That's why we make phone calls to other people in the program. It's why we do service at OA meetings. It's why we sponsor people all means of connecting with other people like us, because it's that human connection that is that power greater than ourselves that, you know, that I need. That, uh, you know, there are, you know, you know, tens of thousands of people in Overeaters Anonymous around the world. That is, you know, hundreds of thousands of human years of experience, far more than any one of us possibly has, and on our own. And, you know, we can tap into that network. And now through the miracle of Zoom, you know, we've got a worldwide you know, network to connect to. And Jim, that's your 25. You want to wrap okay. it up? Okay. All right. So uh, I'm uh, out of time. So I want to thank everybody for uh, putting up with me. Um, it is kind of past my bedtime uh, since I'm on the East Coast. And uh, you know, for those of you who... Uh, I go to other 100-pounders meetings at this time. Um, I didn't look at my calendar, and I said yes to speak at 1.10.30 tomorrow night as well, or 7.30 Pacific time. So if you go to that one, um, you may choose a different one. Uh, I'll try to talk about different stuff. But as far as the topic goes, the, uh, I would like to hear people talk about, let's talk about stretch marks, physical, emotional, and spiritual. What kind of stretch marks or scars do you carry? And with that, I'll turn it back over to our leader. Thank you.